Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everybody, it's Helen from the Squiggly Careers podcast. And before today's episode starts, I want to let you know about some news that Sarah and I are really excited about. 10 years ago in October was the moment that Squiggly started. We sat down together, a squiggle was drawn on a napkin and this idea to help people with their careers came to life. Since then, things have grown a bit and we would love to celebrate that growth with you. On October the 17th, we will be holding Squiggly Careers live in London. The show starts at 7pm. We've got four brilliant guests who are going to be talking to us about meaning, motivation and money. Come and join us. Tickets are limited. They are £30 each and there'll be a chance to connect and talk to each other after the event as well. All the details are on our website, amazingif.com forward slash squiggly. That's amazingif.com forward slash squiggly. So we hope to see you there. And now let's get on with today's episode. Hi, I'm Helen from the Squiggly Careers podcast. This is a weekly podcast where we talk about the ins, outs, ups and downs of work to give you a little bit more clarity, some controls, some tools to support your self-development. And ordinarily, I say we because it's normally me talking to Sarah about all things Squiggly Careers. But this episode is one of our Ask the Expert episodes. And today's topic is sensitivity. I am talking to Jen Graneman on the episode today, who is the co-author of a book called Sensitive. It's a book that I got gifted oh about four months ago now and I absolutely loved it I've got post-it notes all over this book so I was like oh that's really interesting and there's ways that you can self-assess for sensitivity in the book there's ways that you can create environments where sensitive people can thrive at work in the book and that is what Jen and I dive into in this episode today so whether you're like thinking oh I'm a sensitive person what could I do differently to help me with my development or whether you're thinking oh how could I help other people to be at their best at work that might identify as being more sensitive we are covering it all in this episode today some of the things we talk about are going to be summarized in the pod sheet so if you want some of the ideas for action some of the links and things that myself and Jen reference download that it's on our website amazingif.com just go to the podcast page and you'll find it and I will also link it in the show notes as well but let's get on to the episode and my conversation with Jen hi Jen and welcome to the squiggly careers podcast Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited too. I didn't know we were going to get a chance to talk. Like when I first read your book, I was like, God, this book is really interesting. And then sometimes that doesn't actually transpire to me getting the opportunity to talk to someone. So I'm really happy that I get to sort of meet the person behind the book and talk about the topic that I found really intriguing. I know our listeners will as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's such a nice compliment. Thank you. So the book is all about 
being sensitive. One of the things that struck me when I was reading it, like particularly the first kind of couple of chapters, probably the first chapter, I was like, oh, maybe I have had a very narrow definition so far of what it means to be sensitive, because I really feel that you kind of expand what it means when someone is sensitive. So to start with, when we're describing someone as a sensitive person, what do we actually mean? What does it mean from your perspective? Right. So I think you're not alone in having a narrow idea of what sensitivity is. I found that when I was writing my book, a lot of people had misconceptions about what it means to be a sensitive person. They thought it meant that you cried all the time or that you were someone who got easily offended, but that's not what we're saying when we're talking about the trait of sensitivity. So if you're a sensitive person or a highly sensitive person, it simply means your body and mind respond more to the world around you. You respond more to heartbreak, pain, and loss but you also respond more to beauty, new ideas, and joy. So in other words, your mind is wired to go deep where other people's might only skim the surface. And a lot of this deep processing that you do is automatic and unconscious, so you might not even realize that you're doing it. But sensitive people pick up on details around them. They might pick up on other people's emotions or social cues. And they generally reflect on that information more than their brains are able to do more with it. Do you know what's really interesting in listening to you talk about it? I go, oh, that sounds brilliant. You know, like sensitive people pick up on details that other people don't. And sensitive people are really good at deep processing. I'm like, wow, it's great to be sensitive. But I don't think that is the commonly held belief at work. Like, I don't think we go around corporate environment going, oh, isn't it great to be sensitive? In fact, I think sometimes it's used almost quite a negative, like, oh, Helen's being a bit sensitive, you know, like sort of that kind of term. Why do you think that is? Why have we taken this trait of sensitivity and turned it into something almost seen as negative? I think it goes back to the misconceptions about sensitivity. Sensitive people certainly do feel emotions in a strong way sometimes. So yeah, maybe sometimes they are getting tears in their eyes at work. Or maybe they are reacting to something a little bit more or needing a little extra time to answer a question or needing a little extra time to adapt to some sort of change. We've looked at the downsides or the challenges of sensitivity, and we haven't been celebrating the gifts and the strengths of it enough. How do I know if I am sensitive? Like one of the things that I was reading in the book that I thought was really interesting was the quite a long list of really good questions to ask of yourself to see whether you kind of identify as a sensitive person. What are some of those questions that people listening could ask themselves if they're like, oh, do I process deeply? Do I tune into some of those things that you're talking right. about? What sort of things do they ask themselves to identify as a sensitive person? There is a good checklist in our book in the first chapter. So I would encourage people to turn there if they want the whole checklist, but I can give you a rundown of some of those things on the checklist. If you're a sensitive person, you might pause before acting so that your brain can have time to do its work. You are someone who might notice subtle details, like a slight difference in shade between brush strokes on a painting or an expression that just quickly vanishes from your coworker's face. If you're sensitive, you might feel strong emotions. You might have a hard time shaking intense emotions like anger or worry, but on the flip side, you feel joy and happiness in a more intense way. You have a lot of empathy, even towards strangers or maybe people you only hear about in the news. Sensitive people easily put themselves in other people's shoes. And then, you know, as a result of that empathy and those strong emotions, other people's moods can really affect you. You might absorb emotions from other people and almost take on their feelings in your own body as if you're feeling them 
yourself. But, you know, there are some challenges to sensitivity. So if you're a sensitive person, you might feel stressed or fatigued in loud, busy environments, like, let's say, a crowded shopping mall, a concert, a restaurant, or just maybe like a bustling office that can be draining and fatiguing to a sensitive person. So you need a lot of downtime to maintain your energy. If you're sensitive, even if you're an extroverted sensitive person, you can be introverted or extroverted. Even if you consider yourself to be extroverted and sensitive, you might still need to withdraw from other people sometimes so that you can calm your senses down and process your thoughts because that downtime is really important. There's more, but I will leave it at that for now. I guess from a work perspective, you know, I was talking about, I think this is almost a sort of traditional narrative about, oh, you know, that person's a bit sensitive. Like I say, it's almost a bit derogatory about what that trait can mean. But when I was reading the book, you're very, you know, really explicit about actually sensitive people bring huge benefit to organisations. Like if we can treat this trait as a talent, then actually we can really acknowledge the value it brings to teams. And so I wonder if you can share a little bit about if we create an environment where sensitivity is seen as a talent, what is the benefit that sort of brings to businesses? Yeah, I think there's a huge benefit sensitive people can bring to businesses. There was an interesting study that we talked about in the book. It found that sensitive people were often named among the top performers in their workplace. But on the other hand, they were also the ones who were feeling the most burned out. So, right, we've got these high performers that are also feeling the stress of the work environment. So sensitive people, they can bring a lot of amazing talents to the workplace. If you're someone who notices details, right, well, you're going to notice things that other people miss. If you're someone who is a warm and empathetic person, you're going to be able to have good relationships with the people around you. And sensitive people are often good at, I like to say, predicting things, right? Not that they're mind readers or fortune tellers, but they notice patterns and trends and details. Their minds are often very intuitive. So often they can be the one who can say, hey, you know, this might be what's coming down the road. And I think some of that future forecasting can be really helpful in certain roles too. Basically sensitive people, they can provide a lot of strengths. And, you know, I really hope that we can get past this idea that sensitivity is something that you don't want to be and instead to start celebrating those strengths of sensitive people. I really like the point about future forecasting, you know, because I guess they're seeing things from different people's perspectives. They're able to see those scenarios and think them through and kind of maybe an assessment of the impact. Like they're such important talents because I think work is so busy. I say this is sort of like a busy brained person. I don't think I am a sensitive person. I hope it means I'm not insensitive, but I don't think I am a sensitive person. <laughs> My brain is very tuned into the now and the doing and I really yeah. admire a lot of what you're saying about what sensitive people can bring but I don't think so they are some of my natural talents though I think my business partner Sarah I think she is a sensitive person I actually haven't got to ask and answer all the questions in the book but I should do that afterwards but I think together we are better because I'm kind of pacey and in the moment and I'll suggest things and I'll move things forward fast but I think because she is a sensitive person she considers the implications of it more than mm. you. she she yeah. sort of sees the ripples of my role a little bit more than I do and it's really really helpful because I kind of have that drive and that clarity and that momentum and she has the sensitivity to see the impact of it all in a way that I don't automatically do and I 
I mm. see that I'm like, oh, if that's me and Sarah, you know, we're a small team in a small company. But if you take that to a large organization, you have that respect for what different people bring and you build teams based on that kind of diversity. Right. I really think that that leads to better outcomes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, she definitely sounds like a sensitive person from the little that I'm hearing about her. But uh, yeah, it, it kind of goes back to the idea too of sensitive people reflecting more on things, mm. you know, needing a little more time themselves to answer a question or process what's going on around them. A lot of times they can be the ones who are saying, okay, hold on a minute. Let's wait, everybody. <laughs> Slow it down. Calm it down. Let's take a minute to reflect on this before we make a decision. And I think that can bring really good balance to certain teams. I don't know if you've done any research in the area, but a couple of months ago, we did a podcast on neurodiversity in the workplace. And we had a really interesting person talking to us, Dr. Samantha Hyatt, about ADHD. In my head, I'm sort of joining a few dots between what you're saying about sensitive people are processing an awful lot of information because they're absorbing so much around them because of that stimulation. Right. And it really resonates with me with what Samantha was saying about you know people with ADHD. They're doing that all the time. They're so stimulated by what's going going on around mm -hmm. them and she also talked about very high performing but often very prone to burnout and that could be quite for someone with ADHD that was kind of a pattern of their behavior because absorbing right. so much high achieving burnout and then it's a repeated pattern have you seen anything that connects sort of sensitivity and maybe some of those elements of neurodiversity at all in your work I can't say that I know that there is any connection between sensitivity and ADHD as in like, oh, you know, people who are sensitive are more likely to have ADHD or something like that. I don't know of any connection like that. I do consider sensitivity to be a form of neurodiversity. Mm. And I can certainly see some of the connections between processing a lot of information, but also feeling burned out. That's an interesting topic to consider. So just in terms of like work, then when I'm thinking about sensitivity as a talent in work, are there things that like common ways that we structure work or manage work? I don't know whether that's like from meetings to the way that managers do things that maybe work against people who have sensitivity as a trait or as a talent, as I might like to think about it. Do you think there's anything that sort of happens as a bit of a norm, which isn't really very helpful? Yeah, I think there are some things that take place in the typical workplace that make it challenging for sensitive people. I think sometimes just the pace of the work environment can be tough for sensitive people because like we've talked about, sensitive people like to take their time. They like to reflect on things. Sometimes they can even be a bit of a perfectionist, <laughs> right? A lot of times they will dislike that feeling of being rushed and they prefer to do things carefully. And of course, you know, you don't have to be a sensitive person to not like being rushed, but being rushed tends to add an extra layer of stimulation to the sensitive person on top of all the other stimulation they're already taking in. I think sometimes, you know, just being in an environment where there are a lot of people can feel draining to a sensitive person, you know, so maybe if you're in the office and there's people around you, or even just, you know, you're doing a lot of online meetings in a day, you're taking in all that information, all that social information, you're taking in information about the other person's state of mind, their mood, their emotions, and you're reflecting on it all. And if you're a sensitive person, you know, you, you have empathy, you're perhaps thinking about that other person's perspective. And, you know, just doing that all day long, repeatedly, that can be really tiring. I was a teacher for a few years before I returned back to a writing career. I love my students, but it was really draining for me just to deal with all the emotions happening in the classroom in any given day. 
And then I think sometimes just the physical environment itself can be draining for sensitive people. You know, our our workspace is not necessarily introvert friendly or (laughs) introvert friendly, sensitive person friendly, but also not introvert friendly. We were talking about introverts earlier. So now that's on my brain, but you know, the lights, the noise, just kind of the gray drab (laughs) decor, you know, maybe chairs that are uncomfortable or, you know, just overhearing coworkers constantly. Although I know a lot of people are working remotely these days. So I think on some level that can help alleviate some of those physical environment concerns, but it isn't always easy to work from home too, because maybe you share space with other people. Maybe you have neighbors who are making noise. So yeah, when your brain takes in so much and is processing so much, everyday or common things that wouldn't necessarily drain someone else can feel draining to a sensitive person. It makes me think about both companies that I've worked in and people that I've worked with. I've worked in some really large organizations where lots of change has gone on. You know, so I worked with Microsoft, for example, during their Mm. largest organizational change. And it does make me think, oh, for a sensitive person, I'm going to call myself insensitive. But for me, as an insensitive person... I would not call you insensitive. I know. I don't don't know what to call myself, but as someone who... Call yourself whatever you want. But basically, someone that I really appreciate the talent, but I don't think it's me naturally. So I go through those periods of change, really significant change. And I think part of me kind of says, oh, this is just what big organizations do. It's just what we go Mm -hmm. through when we work here. We've just got to kind of find our way through this. And that's sort of my boundaries around it. But it really makes me think, oh, actually, a sensitive person probably feeling more of this impact for themselves because more of this is affecting them in more ways. But I would imagine they're also feeling other people's emotions too. So those periods of change in like large organizations are probably much harder for a sensitive person to go through than somebody like me, who I'm going to categorize myself as insensitive. I don't think I absorb quite so much. Mm. So the other stimulation and what other people might be sort of experiencing, it's not natural that that kind of comes to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Change can be extra challenging for sensitive people because when things are changing, there's new stimulation to deal with. Mm. There's new procedures, there's new ways of doing things, new routines, uh, new concepts to understand. The sensitive brain is very hardworking and change means new information to take in. Change is hard for everyone, right? But if you're sensitive, it, it can add an extra layer of complication. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. 
until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you were a manager, so obviously like a red flag that where someone might need some more support might be in times of change because a sensitive person might find there's more stimulation in that situation, so they might need some different support. So that could be a bit of a red flag for a manager. But if a manager's thinking, oh, what could I do differently? Like I haven't really thought about sensitivity in this way before. I want to make sure that I help the people in my team and sensitive people in my team to be at their best. What could they do in terms of how they might manage the working week or the meetings that they do that could help set everybody but especially in this context sensitive people up for success every sensitive person is different so if there are managers listening to this i would say talk to your sensitive employees ask them directly what they need because each one of them might say something a little different but in general i think sensitive people do well when they have more time time to adapt to change, (laughs) right? Mm. More time to complete a project or even respond to an email or respond to a question. That's not to say that, you know, we just let sensitive people miss deadlines or something like that. But a lot of times their minds just need a little extra beat or a little extra time to reflect before making a decision. I think sensitive people are also especially tuned in to the emotions and the relationships in any kind of team. So, you know, if there's some sort of toxicity in the team environment, I think that can get really wearing on sensitive people. A lot of times we talk about, oh, you know, the lights are too bright and the noises are too loud. And that is true to some extent, but, you know, those physical things are easier to fix, right? Turn the lights down or maybe wear headphones or, you know, they're a little more straightforward to fix. But I think it's a lot of times those emotions and those relationships that are not so straightforward, simple fixes that can be wearing on sensitive people. So, you know, I would have regular check-ins with sensitive employees, make sure they feel safe and comfortable coming to you with concerns and just overall try to cultivate an emotionally and mentally healthy work culture for them. In the book as well, you mentioned that managers could help give people sort of permission to job craft and that sort of permission to craft their roles could also be quite an important way of engaging a sensitive person. Could just share a little bit more about why that is? Why does job crafting work for sensitive people particularly well? Yeah, so I think sensitive people often have that mind toward thinking about how something can be improved. And so job crafting gives them a chance to change the way they do tasks or maybe even change some of the tasks they do. Job crafting also can help them, you know, just change who they might interact with or how they might interact with those people. And a lot of times it's, you know, just a little change that might make a big difference for a sensitive person. Maybe it's allowing them to block out a few hours every day to have uninterrupted time to work uh, instead of, you know, scheduling meetings during that time or expecting email or Slack responses. I think sensitive people are often particularly drawn to finding meaning in their work. 
And of course, right, everybody wants to do work that's meaningful. Nobody wants to feel like their job is meaningless or the effort they're doing is, you know, for nothing. But sensitive people, you know, often have a really strong desire for meaning in their work. There was some interesting research that we talk about in the book about how a researcher followed around janitors in a hospital. And the ones who were happy about their jobs were the ones who had found ways to think about their jobs in a more meaningful way. So, you know, their work wasn't just like sweeping the hall or cleaning the toilets, right? They were thinking about their job in terms of, I'm creating an environment that are going to help patients heal and recover. So they were thinking about the larger purpose behind the actions they were taking every day. You know, in that way, um, I think sensitive people can look for the meaning that they have in their jobs, maybe by thinking about the larger purpose of their work. Anytime we can find that personal meaning, like, you know, I did something today that made someone's day go a little smoother, right? Mm. So any way that we can find that meaning or craft that meaning into our work, I think is going to help sensitive people in the workplace. What else do you think a sensitive person could do to set themselves up for success? You know, while we talked about job crafting, we talked about looking for meaningful work. I think overstimulation tends to be something that sensitive people struggle with in the workplace. You know, like we said, they need a little bit more time to process and work can be fast paced, <laughs> right? There can be a lot of demands, projects to complete, people who need your attention. So I think sensitive people really need to protect themselves from overstimulation, even to take a look and say, am I chronically overstimulated? You know, is my job creating chronic overstimulation in me, which puts chronic stress on the body? We're all going to deal with overstimulation from time to time, whether we're sensitive or not, but sensitive people are more susceptible to it. So I think sensitive people need to have good routines and rituals to help them calm overstimulation because it's going to happen, right? Like no matter what you do to try to protect your time and take care of yourself, it's going to happen because things happen. So, you know, I like to encourage sensitive people to tune into their body and their emotions. I think a lot of times we've been trained to ignore signals from our bodies we push through when we're tired. We don't stop to eat when we're hungry. Or we dismiss feelings that come up when we're interacting with a particular person. You know, because we've been told to toughen up. <laughs> we've been told our emotions are too big or we're overreacting. So a lot of times sensitive people have been trained to ignore those signals. I think one of the best things that sensitive people can do is to just start tuning in and trying to notice before they really tip over into full-blown overstimulation, right? Maybe they can feel their stress meter rising a little bit. And before they become very overstimulated, that's when they want to take a break or do some self-care or step away for a moment or do whatever helps them to feel more emotionally regulated. I think sometimes it's about kind of moving on, you know, all that kind of the pace is like onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Right. And I think it's really interesting that rather than kind of move on, that tune in is a really important thing for a sensitive person to know, but also a manager maybe to make time for, like, you know, to give that person that space. It's not like the moving on all the time is not going to help a sensitive yeah. person be at their best. You know, I was talking earlier about collecting dots and connecting dots, just listening to you is reminding 
ages ago, like a couple of years ago now, we had um, someone on the podcast called Alex Pang, who's written a book called Rest. And he talks about this idea of active rest. And the more I got into it, the kind of we then there's this great TED talk about the seven different types of rest. And I wonder whether it might be, I don't know if you come across it or it might be helpful people, but it talks about there's, you know, there's different types of rest that we might need. So there might be mental rest, you know, like you've got so much thinking, there's like a new project going on. Or for example, like sensory rest that we've talked about, or sometimes it might be emotional rest. You know, if you're with a lot of people who maybe you're carrying a lot of people's emotions or like spiritual rest, like maybe you're feeling like you haven't got that kind of sense of purpose. You're feeling a little bit lost. And just in terms of that stimulation can come from lots of different places. Therefore, the rest that people need might be quite specific. I might make sure we create a pod sheet for all of our episodes. And just in case it helps people, I might link to that TED talk because if someone's feeling really overstimulated right now, then the type of rest they might need is probably quite specific to them. And I think that TED Talk might help people identify what does good rest look like for me right now, as well as the points you're saying about tuning into how your body and mind is responding to the situation. Oh, I love that. I want to see that TED Talk myself. (laughs) I will send it to you. I'll send it to you after this conversation because it's a good one. It's a good one. The one I go back to quite a lot, actually. So I think I'm definitely a lot clearer from having, like, A, read the book and talked to you today about sensitivity is a trait and a talent and that what sensitive people can bring to the organisation is this ability to see things from other perspectives, to pick up on the detail and to sort of dive a bit deeper and that managers can help sensitive people by creating some space and helping them to sort of craft their role around them and that sensitive people themselves can help themselves to be at their best by sort of tuning into how they're responding to situations and how they're feeling about it, perhaps rather than feeling like they have to move on really quickly. Are there any other tips or insights that you think are important for people listening to know about sensitivity? One of the biggest messages I want to send is that sensitivity is a strength. We often see it as a weakness. We see it as a flaw or something that needs to be fixed. But sensitive people have incredible strengths and a lot to offer the world. And I hope we can start seeing it as the gift and the benefit that it is. I love that. Thank you. And that is a really lovely place to end. But before we do end, we always ask our guests on our podcast for a piece of advice that has helped them in their career. And it can be connected to sensitivity or it can be something completely different to that. But is there a piece of advice that has helped you that might help our listeners too? You know, I can speak to my own career. I was a journalist for a few years. I did newspaper reporting and editing. Then I jumped into marketing Then I jumped into teaching and then I went back to writing and I started my first blog called introvertdeer.com where I wrote about introversion and sensitivity. And then slowly that started to take off. I quit being a teacher and I started working for myself full time. You know, I would say, don't be afraid to try things. I had to jump around a lot, (laughs) you know, in my time working. And I just kept looking for things that excited me. And I kept tuning into myself too. I loved teaching. I love my students and the relationships I had with them. It felt very meaningful to me as a sensitive person. Whereas, you know, marketing just did not feel very meaningful to me. You know, at the same time, being a teacher, it, it got really draining. And for a while, I wasn't honoring my body and honoring the (laughs) fatigue that I felt at the end of the day. So yeah, I just, I had to try a lot of different things. I had to fail at a lot of different things. I had to switch course a lot of times, but I just kept trying to tune into myself and notice how my body reacted to different things and follow what I was excited about. 
feels like it's a try things and tune in. It's just like a nice way of yeah. uh, thinking <laughs> try about it. And tune in. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> summary. It's also very supportive of sort of the squiggly career philosophy as well, which is the moves we make allow us to collect lots of data for our development. And it sounds like you were doing lots of that too. I think I was. Yeah, I think I was doing that on a personal level in my own life. Jen, thank you so much for talking to us about the book and your insights on the podcast. We really, really appreciate your time. And I know this will connect with lots of people. Other than finding the book, is there anywhere else that our listeners can go if they want to learn more? Yes, you can find me on Instagram under my name, Jen Graneman. You can also visit my blog, introvertdear.com, D-E-A-R, like you're writing a letter. And you can find my book, Sensitive, wherever books are sold. Amazing. Thank you. And we'll put all the links to all of those things in both the show notes of the podcast and also on the pod sheet that comes with the episode too. Thank you so much again, Jen. Awesome. Thank you. This was lovely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found it really interesting. I hope it's made you think about sensitivity maybe slightly different than you did at the start of the episode. As I said right at the start, if you want to get any of the links that we talked about, best place is the pod sheet that is on our website, amazingif.com and go to the podcast page and you will find it and if you've got any feedback on the episode or suggestions for future episodes just email us we're helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com but i will be back next week with lovely sarah to talk to you about another topic on the podcast bye for now Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.